Warning, this podcast discusses the books in detail. It may contain spoilers. Welcome to Books and Brunch, a book club turned podcast. We're so glad you joined us. I'm Katera. And I'm Kara. Let's sit and chat and snack a while. Welcome back to Books and Brunch. We're here on our second book. I'm super excited. I'm Kara. And I'm Katera. And we're here to discuss the storyteller by one of our favorite authors, Jody Picoult. Yes. And we're excited to go through this book, but I will warn you all, it's a pretty heavy read. So if you're reading along, we're preparing you now that it's a little bit... Um, heavy and so you might want tissues um it was a little emotionally taxing a little bit so just be prepared um and as far as food goes we are going to be well we tried to make minka's rolls which are the um the recipe that is in the book however um it didn't turn out i was very disappointed yeah, so instead we kind of made our own cinnamon rolls, which are per the per wellness the, of Pillsbury. Thank yes. you. <laughs> um, however, we did um, purchase some kosher blackberry wine. and Thank you, Manischewitz and Harris Teeter. Yes. So um, the other thing we want to warn you is there may be some adult content just of the nature of the Holocaust. So... Yeah. Join us in talking about this will be three parts. So we'll have three episodes for this book. We'll go through part one this time and go from there. Yes. So I um, when we kind of landed on this book, I normally walk through kind of the like summary on the back of the book or in the front cover. Right. And knowing that I have loved everything that Jody Bacold has written, I didn't do that this time. So when the book came in the mail, I was like, oh, it's not at all what I thought it would be. Um, but I just was very surprised. Um, it is a very, really, it's a very real topic. And I think a lot of people, it gets glazed over in a lot of aspects. And it was um, just different to read from someone's perspective something that maybe seems a little more current than books that were written 30 or 40 years ago right. um, in first person, you know, perspective. So, mm -hmm. yes. So this book really jumps through a couple of different uh, characters and we'll walk through those. We have Sage, which is our main character. We have a story within a story. We have a gentleman named Leo. We have a gentleman named Joseph. And we have a woman named Minka. And so there's a couple of names and the storyline kind of hops back and forth, which may be interesting as we walk through this. Mm -hmm. And um, so it, it'll be interesting. So we'll walk through each of those items or each of those uh, groupings. If you've ever read a Jodi Picoult before, it'll make a little more sense because she typically does this. But this is, it jumps characters, it jumps periods, 
And then it has this inner story within a story. So bear with us. I know in note taking it was super complicated and um, I tried my hardest to do my best on plot summaries, but um, plot summary might be a little difficult. We might be kind of jumble back and forth between the two of us rather than me kind of cover a summary and then Kay fill in the blanks. So. Yeah, so I really, um, I would like to start with even just the opening line of this first part of the book, and it starts in the story within a story, and it starts with, my father trusted me with the details of his death. Anya, he would say, no whiskey at my funeral, I want the finest blackberry wine. No weeping, mind you, just dancing, and when they lower me into the ground, I want a fanfare of trumpets and white butterflies. And it leads into this little girl who believes her father to be invincible and <clears throat> kind of piecing together like this is kind of an elaborate story of his own, right? That he, she doesn't believe he could. He's this big, strong man. And how do you, as a child, connect the two? Right, that this is something that could really happen one day. And I think as children, we very easily can, like, let those things go over our heads because it's just not something that we're exposed to on the daily. Um, And so we're introduced to Anya and Emil, her father, who is a baker in a small town, and he loses his wife when Anya is a baby. Um, And they talk in grandeur about what he wants his funeral to look like. And then my very first question was, what would you want your funeral to look like? Um, would you, jo- I told you Josh and I had talked about, I would love to be cremated and to be buried and <clears throat> to nurture a tree one day that my kids could go and visit. His sister joked that she would chop it down and turn it into furniture. <laughs> so, but every Ouch. single person, right? I know. I mean, he could That's turn like it killing into- you twice. He could be used as toilet paper. So it could be worse, but, um, but to know that our kids could one day, I mean, even if he was turned into a piece of furniture 300 years from now or whatever, right? Like who knows, but to keep it, to keep it on, maybe he's turned into a crib or a hope chest or it sounds so weird. I really rabbit trailed on that. I feel like, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, so I just, you know, there's all sorts of different ways. So would you have a memorial service? He does not want a memorial. He wants a celebration. A party. A party. Not that he's gone, but because we know where he's going. What so. about you? I know. I mean, I know where I'm going. No, I mean, are you going to have a celebration or a memorial I think we would have something like, I don't want to call it a wake, right? But Are you anticipating dying together? I mean, that's the, that's the best way to go, honestly. I wouldn't want to die before him. I, I mean, I... I if I had a choice, I'd want to go before him because I, I wouldn't want to know life without him. Makes sense. Oh, I know. Ronnie and I made vows to each other that we're never dying. So I'm not going to have a funeral. Oh, there you go. <laughs> are, are you vampires? <laughs> Did I not I'll know suck this? Your blood. <laughs> I, you know, I'm used to, I was, grow, I was brought up Catholic and so. I love the tradition of a Catholic funeral. They're right. very, very long. Well, I so told you my experience I would with a Catholic probably, funeral. <laughs> yes. I would probably be torturing my friends and relatives by having this funeral. But I just love like the music of it and the tradition mm-hmm. of it. 
Um, I'm slightly scared of cremation. I know that I'll be dead and won't know the difference and I'll be right. in heaven. But um, I don't know. There's something about that that just freaks me out. But maybe my mind will change and I'm old and decrepit. Right. I'm, I mean, I do. I told you I have some of my grandmother's ashes. Mm-hmm. And my aunt gave me this little teeny tiny urn that holds like a shot or something it's like I don't know three inches tall or something this little urn Mm -hmm. um and at first I thought it was very creepy I was like why are you giving that to me um but it's nice to know that I have something of her Mm -hmm. you know um even if it was just I mean it could have been a piece of jewelry I and all of a sudden now I have this little tiny urn of ashes but I know they do all those kinds of things this is really rabbit holing talking about cremation and stuff but they have like all kinds of like necklaces and all kinds of momentous you can have ashes added into stones and you can even have somebody's like fingerprint before they get see that's cool on the like pendant and then inside is their like ashes i want that i want that if he ever if he if he was to go before me which i pray does not happen i would want that I would want his finger. I mean, his 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 finger, his literal fingerprint is all over our house, right? I I just wouldn't want to know life without him, and I wouldn't want to know what that looks like ever. So, mm-hmm. but I like the idea of the fingerprint and a little piece of jewelry, like stamped. That was, mm-hmm. it's a sweet, it's a sweet way to do that. I guess there's all there's like really cool ways to memorialize people now. I know you know with Ronnie's mom passing away, we've kind of gone through this and for Christmas this year his cousin gave us a um cutting board we'll never use it this way but a cutting board and it has his mom's recipe like etched See, into I love the that. cutting board so we have her writing forever and because they etched it in yeah. her handwriting as I love the recipe. so much um, and so I was like, thanks, I'll never use it as a cutting board, Absolutely. but I love it. <laughs> You're like, that's when you like, that's when you put it on the wall mm-hmm. and you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I told you I'm working on this recipe book for the kids and this is rabbit trail. We'll get there. We'll get to that point, <laughs> but I am working on a recipe book for our kids because I don't have my mom's recipes. Her mother passed when she was very young. My mom was 18 when my grandmother passed and, <clears throat> and I, just want to be able to give those things to my kids. And I know that Ronnie's got a lot of his mom's uh, recipes in like a bound book and they're typed. So for me, I was like, no, no, I would like, I want them to have my handwriting because there's only so many things that will continue once you die. Right. And one of those is your handwriting. Like if that's something tangible, someone can have. And so I really want my kids to one day be able to go through this, um, to go through this recipe book and, um, and, and just have those things, um, and be able to go back and go, oh my gosh, let's make mom's peanut butter cookies. She used to make those all the time. Right. I loved those. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a great way to connect generations, um, especially, and not even just like feeding someone, but being, you know, what's that saying? If you teach man to fish, he can feed himself for a day. And, but if you, uh, no, no, if, if you, if you, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he can feed himself for a lifetime. So, and I think that's very true in recipes. Like, I could feed my kids all day, but if I don't teach them my recipes, like how they can't recreate those things. And so, I think it's important for them to be able to have those things tangibly 
but even for like memorial sake or for memory sake to be able to make those things with their kids and be like, your grandma used to make these cookies for me or do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I just was very sentimental for me. So I love that her dad is a baker in this story because he just, he bakes with love. Mm-hmm. And that's she. It ties through the whole story. Yeah. Um, these things that he bakes and that his ancestors bake, and it's just awesome. I know. I love that. This is where I didn't take notes. Is I didn't take notes of the inner story. So Kay does oh, a good yeah, job yeah. of doing that. Um. So Anya is our secondary main yes. character. Yes. So she. So Anya's the main character in the story within the book as a whole. Um, And so it talks about how her father's kind of, you know, this grandeur talk about his funeral. And they introduce a gentleman by the name of Bruch Beeler, um, who's a town tax collector who threatens her father because he's passed due on his taxes. And some of these, um, the inner story is kind of in shorter sections. And I've took different notes and lengths in different sections there, but... um, it just, it does make a big difference as far as all that goes. And then it jumps into part one and we're introduced to Sage. So do you want to jump in there? Yeah. So we meet Sage, who is a baker, um, and she lives with an ex-nun, Mary. She regularly attends a grief support group as both of her parents are deceased, but mom more recently than dad, I believe. It was three years, I believe. Yeah. So Sage meets an old man named Joseph, whose wife has also passed away um, at the grief support. Sage befriends Joseph and he reveals that he wants her to assist him in completing suicide. He then reveals that he was a Nazi soldier. Um, Sage also is in a relationship with a married man named Adam. Um, Sage's family is Jewish and she becomes very upset about this new um, found revelation about Joseph. Sage reports Joseph to the FBI but needs to find more information about him since he had changed his name. Joseph Weber is not his real name. Um, we, le- we learn more about Joseph's upbringing and how he became an SS officer. Um, Leo Stein, who is the FBI agent that Sage d- talks to initially, mm-hmm. specialized in Nazi affairs in the special division. I forgot what the division's name was. That um, uh, prosecuted Nazi war criminals. Um, he comes to visit Sage in New Hampshire and her grandmother, um, to get information about her experience as an Auschwitz, um, survivor. So Sage's grandmother, Minka, is the, um, survivor of the Holocaust since, um, and Joseph was, we find out that Joseph was, um, also transferred there. So he spent time in one camp and then, um, the part one ends that Joseph, reveals that he was then transferred to Auschwitz as an officer. Correct. Correct. So kind of um where where we meet Sage is we open um at Helping Hands as a grief a grief therapy group um for people who are in all sorts of different stages of grief, right? Um and she's mentioned as a baker and that people come for her butterscotch and pecan muffins, which sound delicious and maybe I should have tried those instead. Uh but they sound amazing. There were um, so many options for There were so many options our food to item. for our, our brunch part of our 
books and brunch. Um, but during the group therapy, they're sharing mementos of their deceased loved ones. And like we inter- were introduced to Mrs. Dombrowski, who brings her husband's ashes um, <laughs> in an urn with her. Uh, a this part is comical. Oh, my gosh. This whole these whole scenes in the beginning are just very entertaining. Stuart brings a bronzed death mask of his wife. I don't even know what that is. It sounds weird. I feel like I might have heard about it, but I'm not really sure what exactly Is it, it like is. paper mache Maybe. and it's turned in? I don't even know. I don't know. Uh, Ethel's husband has Alzheimer's and she brings his TV remote, which I think is sweet. And even though he's not dead, she's living a life with a man who doesn't know who she is anymore. And that right. made me sad that I think that's probably the worst. That would, for me, would be worst case scenario if Josh was to get Alzheimer's and then all of a sudden he wouldn't know me. Or our family, or our relationship, or yeah, and Alzheimer's. I I think you really grieve the person before at the time of like diagnosis because you know that they're eventually not going to be there, Um, right? And mentally, not even physically, so mentally, right? Yeah, Um, so that that made that makes me sad for her because that's got to be a very hard thing, you know that. And typically people with Alzheimer's live much longer after their diagnosis since they live with that for a long time. Mm. Um, And then it talks about how it's been three years since Sage's mother's death and she wears her wedding ring on a necklace um, to keep her close and that her father had died when she was 19 of a heart attack. Um, And she doesn't mention what happened, but they bring up the fact that she's got this rippling scar from her eyebrow, across her eye, and down her cheek. And it was interesting to me that we get, that they kind of paint this picture of the scar itself, but we don't, We it's never mentioned what happened. So it's a part of her. Yeah, they kind of like make small reference, Picoult, uh, Jody Picoult makes kind of small references to some car accident that her and her mom were in several years back. I think it might have mentioned that she was like 12 years old maybe at the, it's at the time of the accident, I can't remember now, but it's a very small kind it's a of snippet of something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that Sage started baking at 19 right after her dad died and that it was um, therapy for her, really. Um, she turned she went back to school after her dad's funeral and she became fa- she started failing. <laughs> and at one point she snuck into the dorm's kitchen to bake and she just baked all night. She started leaving baked goods for her professors, cupcakes for the cute boys that she liked, um, for the cafeteria ladies. Um, and then one day Sage's mother shows up at the school and it was like, and said she, and I even quoted this, if I don't get to give up, then neither do you. Like, this is not the end all be all. You have a whole life ahead of you. Because I think, I think one of the things we both forgot to say is I think mom passed away from cancer. Didn't she have cancer? That's what they say in the beginning. That's what... Um, I don't know that they specify what kind of cancer, but I do remember them saying cancer. So Sage finally graduates and soon after her mother's dying of cancer. So I have it here. Um, and then she begins baking again. Artisan loaves, pretzels, cin- I even wrote cinnamon rolls thick with icing, which is nice because we had cinnamon rolls this morning. Um, and then we're introduced to Mary, who's a retired nun and the owner of Our Daily Bread, a bakery where Sage, is, where Sage works. And Sage even refers to her as her best friend. Um, 
And Sage at some point compares herself to baking the dough, um, that the dough needs to sit quietly and retreat from touch in order to evolve. Like it has to rise and proof, right? And so it can't be touched and meddled with and messed with. You just have to let it be. And so she um, sees herself that way. And she even says at some point that baking is like meditation for her. It's just a great way of therapy. Um, uh, one, one afternoon, Joseph, we in, were introduced to Joseph. She sits with him at the bakery and he is from her grief counseling group. And he's got this small little notebook that he keeps notes in or whatever he's writing in his notebook. And he goes out to a bus, I think a bus comes to pick him up and she runs it out to him, uh, returning it. And he said, Oh, you know, he's like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so important to remember. And it was interesting to me because then I was like, well, then what is in that notebook? Is it just little pieces of his life that he doesn't want to forget? Because really, there's so many things in our day-to-day life that, I mean, we talked about this briefly. I grew up in a very volatile household as a child. And my husband and I have known each other for a very long time. And every so often, he'll mention something to me. And I'm like, I don't remember that. And I do think it's your your body's way, your brain's way, the Holy, whatever, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, there, it's your body's way of protecting you, right? And so I wonder if this is his way to try to remember or keep remembering so he doesn't forget. And it could be little things about his wife, right? Or his childhood, or we don't know. We never, or it's never really revealed what's in the notebook, um, not until much later. But for now, it kind of leaves you wondering, well, what was so important? But it was important enough that she ran it to him. Yep. Um, we meet Adam and Sage uh, meets him, a boyfriend and a married man. Um, and he's a funeral director. She meets him at her mother's funeral. And we, during our last podcast, we talked about funny funeral stories. And this one has to be right up there. And... I hope you remember this because I died laughing and I wrote basically all of it down in my notes because it was just that great. So the sisters have decided to play at the funeral their mother's favorite song. And the sisters' song. names are Sage, Saffron, and Pepper. So and they're all Pepper. spice yes. names, which I thought I wanted to make note of that. I thought that was interesting. That was But I wondered if there was a significance to that. And I don't I still don't know after reading the whole book if there is, but Well, their maybe grandfather just, was a baker. Oh, that's true. Maybe it was just so. Maybe the, it was just a, a an homage, yeah, to to, to their grandfather, right? So mm-hmm. at the funeral, the sisters decide to play their mother's favorite song, which is "Somewhere Over the Rainbow," so sung by Judy Garland, and Adam is the funeral director. Is Sage's now boyfriend? This is where she meets him. Um, Adam ad- accidentally plays "Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead." <laughs> And the sisters are like mortified, crying, and we're so upset. And Sage can't do anything but laugh. <laughs> um, so much so that she laughs so hard she passes out. And when she comes to, Adam is like got a wet washcloth and is like helping her like recover. Um, but I just was like, oh my word. Like we were talking about funny funeral stories and this guy at my grandfather's funeral who finished the whole finished the thing of wine and we just like got the giggles and couldn't keep it together. And I can imagine I would be sage because what can you do? You can either be really mad or you can just laugh because ding dong, the witch is dead is a funny way to go out. Like, 
I really got a kick Don't out of Don't you that. wonder if on the album it was like song number one is Somewhere Over the Rainbow and song number two, like... How did you mess that up? I don't know. I think I think I remember that them saying that it didn't download properly and it downloaded the wrong song. So he just he went to play it. He got it from like it. Napster. He <laughs> went from one of, he got one of those like yes bad right, illegal a bad download. But it just <laughs> I mean that's a big screw up. But that's it just a huge was great. Screw up. It was great. Um, so Adam and Sage's relationship continues in spite of the fact that he has a wife and children. So Josh and I were very young when we got married, so I can't say that I've ever been attracted to a married man, but Sage finds herself in this position with Adam, right? He's her boyfriend, but he's also married with two kids. Like, how do you rectify that? Um, but the next kind of paragraph jumps into Adam's wife puts a, I, I heart my wife bumper sticker on his car. And I even wrote down, is she suspicious? Like, does she know when she's like, claim right this is her brand on him like nope i'm married stay off uh i just i was just interesting to me that that's kind of the wife's reaction um and so we jump into that sage's parents were jewish but they didn't keep kosher or go to services um and they refused christmas like how do you refuse christmas especially i I get if you're jewish right you celebrate hanukkah or in josh's family he was grew up in a messianic household and they did Christmas and Hanukkah. So, like, one or the other. Can we do one? I'd be disappointed as a kid. Can we do one? Um, and then one night, Sage speaks out about being bat mitzvahed, and her grandmother chimes in. Um, oh, her mother chimes in. But Grandma, Grandma Minka wears sweaters, and Sage thinks back to studying the Holocaust in school, um, trying to compare having a hard time comparing images of living skeletons is the words that she used to her grandmother. Like, how do you, if her grandmother is a Holocaust survivor, right? How do you, how do you piece those two together? Like Mm -hmm. side by side, grandma and this person that I have seen in photos right in Mm -hmm. school. Um, And so at some point her mother says, if she hadn't lived, Sage, neither would you. You'd know, you wouldn't be here if she hadn't have survived. Um, and so Sage talks about seeing her grandmother's uh, tattoo, her prison tattoo, or her number that she was given. Mm-hmm. And um, then Sage and Joseph really become friends. And they share recipes. And she makes the, his dog. He has a little dachshund. Uh, she makes him dog biscuits and Joseph teaches Sage how to play chess. And he says, well, maybe now we'll have each other. Cause for now, up until now, Sage admit, admits that she doesn't really have any friends. And Joseph really seems like this loner type too. This kind of not, not necessarily a loner, but lonely. Mm. He mentions that his wife has, has died and they had been married for a very long time. And so for a long time, he's been alone with this dog. So Sage tells jo- Joseph more about her life and her mom getting, um, oh, when her mom went and tried on a sundress. Do you remember this? She tries, her mom tries on this sundress and they literally have to pay for it and then cut it off of her body <laughs> because she's like really stuck. Uh, and then her father, she talks about her father reading the Passover Seder in a Donald Duck voice to make them laugh. Now, 
the Passover Seder, for those that don't know, um, Josh and I have been married now for almost 15 years, and we've been together almost 20. And so we do a Passover Seder every year. And a Passover Seder is done to remember the Jewish people, the Israelites, being led out of slavery in Egypt. And did you talk about, we talked about whatever, Moses and, was it Moses? Moses and ten, we have the ten plagues, right? And um, we kind of go through all of those stories. And then the last of which um, is he tells them to paint blood on the doorposts of their homes and the angel of the Lord will pass over their homes to pass over so they would be spared. And so Josh's father is like 80%, has like 80% hearing loss. And so he mispronounces things all the time. And one of my favorite things to do when we have our Passover Seder every year is we always have a pen at the table. We Usually the adults have a pen. And we'll just make little notes of the funny things that he's changed or added or whatever. Uh, one time he said it was like, it was something about the angel of the Lord. And he said the werewolf of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and so sure enough, it's in my, it's in my guy, in my, in, it's called a sitter. Uh, so it's in like, we have copies of them and everyone at the table gets one. So you can read along and there's parts where you respond, like the main, like his dad will read and then we'll respond with whatever section is next. And so we've made these little notes of like the werewolf of the Lord. Um, and he says herbs instead of herbs. So we talk about the, the bitter herbs were to remind you of the tears that the Israelites shed. Right. And so he always calls them bitter herbs. And I know a lot of it is his hearing loss. And the other part is just like, he just doesn't care anymore. So it's this, uh, it's this running joke. Like Passover is not that far away and I can't wait because I just, we will just laugh because, and, and it's fun because the kids can are now at an age where they're more involved. Levi is the youngest out of all of their grandkids and he's now reading. And so he can kind of read along. Uh, it's just so much fun to be able to take something that is not necessarily a very fun experience, right? Like, it's it can be tiring somber. for the kids, a little somber. I mean, you eat in the middle. You have three glasses of wine. I will take that all day. Um, and Is so it the kids, wine? it's it's no, because remember it says it's not kosher for Passover. Our bottle says not kosher say. for Passover, but we drank Manischewitz Concord grape as traditional wine for Passover. If we could have the cream peach, I would be thrilled because that's my favorite. We'll That'll be next episode. We'll have to link those because. They're amazing. They are. Um, but yeah, so so there's lots of ways to like, so it was just funny to me that she mentions that she has this memory of her dad reading the Passover Seder in a Donald Duck voice because if Josh's dad did that, oh, I wouldn't, I couldn't keep it together. Like that, that would, would be, be really hilarious. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Um, so we come to a point where Sage and Joseph start carpooling to their grief group like she's he's now like a good friend to her and I she's think like, she even she like, ride together yeah i think she even actually at some point kind of reveals her scar that she tries yes. to keep hidden it describes that she always keeps her hair kind of covering her face which is interesting i think for a baker to have her hair exposed out like that because typically like good thinking they're 
like hair is up and you gotta wear a hairnet, hairnet right. especially in a bakery. I didn't think about that. Um, so one of the things that I thought about when I was thinking, well, maybe this, she does put it up while she's baking oh, because she's true. by herself. That's right? true. And she bakes at night. That's true. I didn't think about that, but I didn't think about the fact that she kept her hair down either. <laughs> <laughs> but I wondered, like, are there parts of yourself that you're insecure about that you try to hide? I know for me, it's, you know, the midsection. <laughs> Seriously. Can we shout out to Spanx? <laughs> High-waisted Make pants. me feel better about myself. I, I did get some really cute bathing suits for the summer or for this cruise that we may or may not take now. Um, thanks to coronavirus. But I was super excited about them because they, like, bathing suit shopping and jean shopping are, like, the top two no-nos for women, I think. They just, it's not super enjoyable um, but I really found some cute suits and I'm excited to wear them because they make me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like that's I'm with you on the midsection part mm-hmm. for me and that. And it's my neck. My mom didn't have a strong jawline. And so I don't have a very strong jawline and I don't like profile photos of myself usually. Makes sense. Makes but sense. I think for the most part, yeah, I don't have any I'm like crazy in my scars sc- that know. I'm wanting to hide or anything like that. But I think that. Definitely, I'm more insecure about my body image in that way of like right. weight wise. Mm-hmm. Well, and I tell people all the time, and I told Josh uh, that we are our own worst critics. Mm-hmm. I had photos with a bride of mine as a gift for her husband, and the whole time she was hard on herself, and I was like, I understand, I get it, and it was interesting to see, um, from a male perspective kind of his take on it and he was like but I don't understand you know she was beautiful she did you know she looked comfortable and confident but deep down she just felt like I'm not good enough why you know why are we doing this I'm not good enough he won't like this we're just so hard on ourselves I think primarily as women but Mm -hmm. um it's just yeah it's hard it can be really hard so I can imagine if I had a scar like that like this disfiguring Mm -hmm. scar that it would be something that would be easier to keep covered. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, so they so they carpool. So they start to carpool to this grief to, um, the grief meeting. And the topic comes up of what happens after death. Like heaven or hell or somewhere in between. Um, and Sage's mother um, was like a devout Jew. And at some point her mother talks about the rabbi told her this kind of story of death. And he says, and I wrote it down verbatim because I really loved the picture that it painted. And it says, in heaven and hell, people sit at banquet tables filled with amazing food, but no one can bend their elbows. Hmm. In hell, everyone starves because they can't feed themselves. But in heaven, everyone is full and stuffed because they don't have to bend their arms to feed each other. Interesting. And I thought that was very like, wow. Like, is it selfish people that go to hell (laughs) and they starve because they can't think far enough to think about having to serve someone else to serve someone else. Hmm. But as Christians, what do we do? Like our, our, our goal is to serve others in a way that they would see Jesus in us. Mm -hmm. And so in heaven, everyone is, their bellies are full and they're happy because 
they took the time to feed someone else and someone else fed them. I don't know. I just thought it was really a really great way. That is really cool. Kind I, of don't, picture I don't remember that. That, those details. But. Uh, well, that's, well, that's that's why I said I, I had to like wrote, wrote it down mm-hmm. verbatim because I just mm-hmm. I loved the picture that it painted. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joseph t- says that when you die, you die and everything is simply over. And he is very much like uh, atheist. Very black and white. Right. Very black and white. Like when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. And I mean, as a believer, as a Christian, I don't believe that. But I can imagine that some people are like, well, this is your life. And when it's done, it's done. You know, I guess you could you could picture it like that. Mm-hmm. So Joseph misses um, two days at the bakery. He'd started to come daily to sit with Sage in the afternoon. Um, and so two days go by and Sage goes to his house to check on him because at this point they're friends and she's concerned about him. And he's his age. He's 95. Uh, she's concerned that um, maybe he died. Maybe he slipped and fell and no one's been to check on him to help him. So she goes to check on him and all is well. He had a cold and just didn't want to share it. And so Sage returns to the bakery and has to start all of her dough and starters over again because she left like things when you bake, it's all about timing, right? It's a science. And maybe that's why my recipe this morning didn't turn out. I'm not sure why it didn't turn out, but baking is very much a science. Things have to be very precise. Uh, when I cook on the regular, I doctor everything. That's what I call it. I change the recipe all the time. It's never the same twice. But with baking, you can't do that. Like you can't just substitute sugar for salt. That doesn't you just right. doesn't work. So she had to go back to the um, she went back to the bakery and had to start over. So Mary, as Sage's boss and friend, is upset in the morning by the lack of bread that's available. Uh, simply because Sage wasn't there. She left. And went to go check on Joseph. Mm -hmm. And so Sage tells her that she started late because she had a migraine. And my question was, why did she lie? Wouldn't it have just been simpler to say, I was Mary being a retired nun. Mm -hmm. If Sage had simply said, I was concerned for Joseph's well-being and I wanted to check on him. I think that would have been, I think she would have been very understanding in that way, right? That she would just be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad he's okay. Right. Right. Like in my head, I was like, but why did she feel the need to lie about it? I don't know. So Mary sees, <laughs> Mary cuts into uh, a loaf of bread and sees the face of God. And this becomes known as the Jesus loaf. And it oh, just is Jesus very loaf. funny to me. And Rocco is another gentleman who works um, at the bakery and I'm giggling now because people want to come from all over to see it. The news has come. News crews mm-hmm. have come to the bakery and Rocco calls it the father, son and the Holy toast. <laughs> <laughs> and I just found that so funny. I was just like, I mean, at some point she's just like, seriously, this is what we're doing. But Rocco is like, no, it's the father, son and the Holy toast. This is great. So the reporter tries to interview Sage And she panics because she's afraid that they're going to, like, see her scars. And she, like, runs out of the bakery. And Joseph follows her and is like, are you okay? And in the course of their conversation, he confirms that her mother's Jewish. And she's like, but what's the big deal? Like, he's like, but you're Jewish. She's like, I'm not. He's like, but your mother was Jewish, so that makes you Jewish, right? By blood, even though you're not practicing, by blood, you're Jewish. Just because you're Italian but you don't like Italian food, I mean, that's a sin, but... Like, doesn't make you True. any less Italian because you don't like pasta, right? Like, right. 
or you're gluten-free, right? Whatever that looks like, right? right it doesn't make right. you any less Italian simply for that reason. So just because she's not practicing, a practicing Jew does not make her Jewish. Doesn't make her not Jewish, should right. I say. So, um, so Joseph asks her in the course of this conversation to help him die. And I was confused and I was like, why? Is he sick? Is he just tired of being lonely? That's what I thought. Does that he, he just was just tired. Want to want to be with his wife. My grandmother, my grandfather died ten years before my grandmother did, and when we went to visit, she turned on like NPR radio, and she would listen to it in her room all night long. And my she lived with my aunt, and my aunt confessed to me that the reason she turned her radio on is because she didn't want everyone to hear her crying. That she just missed her filly and she wanted to go be with him in heaven. And that she didn't want to be here anymore by herself. And even though she wasn't by herself, she lived with her daughter and her two grandchildren, two of her grandchildren. She was still devastated for a decade to be without him, which is another reason I couldn't live without Josh. Like I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't. I think I would mourn him like that. Mm -hmm. At least I hope I would mourn him like that. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to be like... (laughs) Peace out. Oh, he's gone. Oh, too bad. Right. I don't want to. Freedom. Just kidding. But I can imagine. Like, and so I can imagine that's so hard. And so I wondered if that was maybe part of it. He just was, he missed her so much that he just wanted to be with her. Uh, So, so Joseph admits to Sage that he should be dead. It's what he deserves. And so, so, so Joseph hands her Sage a small scalloped photo of a young man smiling, wearing an SS guard uniform. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So we flash back to the story within a story uh, of um, Anya selling bread in the market. And this young man, Damien, comes out, uh, comes out, Holding coins? Oh, he took a piece of... I didn't write that down. He took a piece of one of the loaves she was selling. And instead of paying her, he holds the coins out just out of her reach. And he wants her to beg. Because he's just gross. Um, The girls and all of the girls in the town... It reminds me of Gaston. Like, all the girls thought he was attractive. And Anaya's words for him were... She thought of him... Like a pumpkin after Halloween. Lovely to look at until you touched it and realized it was rotten to the core. Like, that's, it reminds me of Gaston, like in Beauty and the Beast. Like, he was this big, burly, strong, attractive guy, but he was a real jerk. Mm -hmm. And Belle sees right through it, even though the rest of the young girls in the town are, like, fawning over him. Mm -hmm. So, Damien eventually... Uh, pins her to like a vegetable cart and kisses her and she bites his lip hard and she like draws blood and is like get away from me and she runs home um looking forward and i even put she look she runs home looking forward to her special role and warming herself by the fire and telling her father all about the people she sees in the village and every day when she went home her father would bake her this roll that was warm and cinnamony with chocolate inside was the recipe i attempted this morning um and her father at some point she even says he could have sold these by the dozen but he never did he only ever made them for her so anaya or anya stops to rinse her mouth in the stream by the house 
um, because she can still taste his blood or whatever in her mouth. And when she dips down, she realizes the water is red, like blood is in the water. And so she follows the bank upstream, her boots sinking in the bank, and she sees a man on his back and blood covering his face and his hair. Uh, And it even said there was so much blood, it took her several moments to recognize that it was her father. And he was killed outside of their home. Um, And this is the story within a story. So, right, so we get another snippet of um, Anya as a little girl with her father, and he's, you know, making these grand statements about his funeral. And here she's a little bit older now, selling in the bake, you know, selling their baked goods in the market, and she goes home to find him dead. So now we jump back into Sage and her conversation with Joseph and how shocked she is at his confession. Uh, because he says to her, where is it? I was looking for my note. Uh, he says to her at some point in that conversation, she's like, well, I just, you can't ask me to help you die. I don't walk around killing people. And he said, but that's why I need your help because I did like, that's when he shows her this photo. Like he's admitting to her, like that was, I did those things. So I need you like, this is my amends. I need you to help me. And so, uh, so she looks at the photo and it's Joseph when he's young, standing in front of a barracks laughing. And he uses this word. I am SS Totenkopfverband. It's a very large, long word uh, in German. And she says, I don't believe you. Like, this can't be you. People speak so highly of you. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Um, and try to to put those two images together has got to be difficult, right? And so my questions were, why would Joseph confess to things he didn't do? Like, why, why do people, like, why did he keep, maybe that's not the right word. Why did he keep the secret for so long, but just now he's like... I need you to help me. And I think that's what Sage was like. Why didn't anybody know about this? How did your wife not know? Right. How were you married for decades? Right. Nobody in this town knew. And -hmm. it brought me to the question of like, how do you meet someone and befriend them? Become so close to them as she did with Joseph. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, and I know you're getting to this in your notes, like, Go and report him or right. go How and tell not... people this, like, terrible secret mm-hmm. that he reveals about himself. Yeah, I just, it was a very weird um, trying to, uh, yeah, how, to, how do you wrap your head around that? So she leaves and she goes to Adam and uh, he's working at the funeral home and she watches him, he's embalming a woman, getting her ready for her funeral. And I even wrote down, it just seemed very poignant to me. She talks about how she watches him sew a woman's mouth shut, trapping her secrets inside. And how she imagines Joseph, like all of those years, he's kept all of these secrets, like his mouth was sewn shut. So she goes to the police station and she talks to them about Joseph and she leaves her information and They were like, look, it's been how many years now? And she said, I thought there was no statute of limitations on murder. Like, if this man is who he says he is, why why couldn't you pursue him? I mean, at this point, I'm guessing it's 60 years later, lack of evidence? You don't know. 
Um, so she goes to see her grandmother and she's asking her questions about her grandmother's parents. What happened to them? Her Nana says she reinvented herself. She said, I never said I don't remember. I said I prefer to forget. It's easier, I guess, to not relive those things on, on a day-to-day than it is to just move forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a detective calls and gives Sage a number for the FBI and Sage goes to work and tosses the Jesus loaf in the fire, and Mary's mad. And she bakes so many loaves of challah. Oh, let me jump back for a second. So while she's visiting her Nana, um, her Nana is, like, older now. She's in her 90s, and she bakes all of these loaves of challah every week. Even though she's a woman by herself, she couldn't potentially eat four or five loaves of braided challah bread by herself. And so Sage, when she goes back to the bakery, she puts all of her other starters and things on hold. And she makes so many loaves of her great-grandfather's recipe of challah that she fills the shelves of the bakery. And she says so much so that you could never imagine how hunger might feel. And I wonder if that's why her grandma baked like that. Like she spent all of these years living through and surviving the Holocaust that I would be terrified to not have food in my house. Mm-hmm. That even for a moment, if I had an option, that I would go hungry. Like, I absolutely couldn't let that happen. I know my grandmother lived, well, she was born, like, right as the Great Depression was starting. And so she grew up in that sort of time period of her parents being in the Great Depression. And she would keep, like shelves of baked goods, I'm not baked goods, uh, canned goods. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much so that, and she would date every single one of when she bought it and would just have it there in reserve just in case. Wow. Just in case. Right. I can imagine it's a terrifying feeling to be without, like, in that way. Like, we've been tight on money before, but never to the point where we've not eaten. Right. Right. So now we jump back into Minka's story, um, Sage's grandmother's story, and she's talking about an, um, Anya. And uh, so she's Anya starts baking day and night now that her father has passed. Um, she's baking through the night, and then she's spending the day in the market to sell her loaves to pay this gentleman, Brooke Beeler, for the taxes that they owe him. And this gentleman, Damien, that she bit previously pays her debt to Baruch, tosses him coins, but he wants payment in the form of physical appreciation in return. And in turn, like, presses her hand on his crotch, and she's really grossed out. Um, And when she comes to, like, she's on the ground, and this young man has wrestled this gentleman to the ground, punching him, uh, and then chases his brother off because his brother she had seen him previously was like on a leash almost. And she'd seen them whatever, a couple days before. And so that's that. I think that's where we're left. I think that's the end of the first part. Well, and we, so um, Sage gets a call from Leo. Um, oh, well, that is Sage in the first calls part. Leo. Mm-hmm. Who, that's the number that the detective gives. Yes. And um, Sage gives him, Joseph Weber as the name, but Leo finds nothing on Joseph. There's no record of Joseph Weber ever right. existing. Um, so Sage finds out after a conversation with him that um, he does have another name, in fact, and that's Reiner Hartman. 
Yes. And so Joseph recounts in this part about his childhood and how he became a Nazi. And his brother Franz was also being um, trained. Mm-hmm. It, it was almost like a draft situation. That's kind of how I took it, that if you were a boy and of age... You are going to go through this training, and there were steps of training. Right. And as you didn't accomplish them, you got cut from the potential of being an officer. But Franz and Reiner were very smart and physically able, though Franz right. had more of the conscience than Reimer, Reiner right. did. And Franz wasn't on the physical part. Like, mm-hmm. Reiner was very, like, physically adept um, really exceeded and excelled in the physical, you know, part of those things. And where Franz was very much the studious brother. Right. And so Reiner became very Reiner much had like this. The pursued one. Right. That right. they were interested in having him um, as part of, it says he joined the Hitler Jagund Jugend? I don't know what that word is. Uh, but basically it was like a, an upbringing of teenagers who weren't old enough to join the military as of yet. I guess it was kind of like ROTC um, in kind of that way. Mm-hmm. Um, in that they were like learning to be soldiers. Uh, Reiner felt like a soldier and he acted like a soldier. Um, where Franz was more like an officer in that aspect. Like he was, yeah. wanted to be the brains. He didn't want to be the brute. Uh, so and I think even their father challenged them at one time and was like, see, this is why you'll succeed. Yes. Reiner and Franz, this is why you won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he continues to tell his story. But in between that, Sage and Joseph go to a grief group together because she feels like she kind of has yes. to make face with him. Yes. Um, and she practically outs him as being a Nazi at the group. And so, he's mad. And, yeah, very angry with her. And um, and then, you know, brings her outside and says, why would you do that to me? And she sees this side of him that she's never seen before, which I yep. think kind of fuels her pursuing the FBI piece a little more, more because yes. she's like, oh, man, maybe he does have the potential to he's be angry. this kind of a person. Yeah. And she says, she tells him, I'm not one of your victims. Like you can't speak to me that way. Right. Uh, and yeah. And so she, I even wrote down that she sees who he really is underneath this mask that he's put up. Um, and then Joseph says, you know, that it's almost like he can't die between cancer and a car accident, pneumonia. He just keeps living to relive all of these mistakes. Um, so I jump in again. So this is, it jumps back into Anya's story. Um, Anya's attacked or chased and attacked and by some mysterious creature they call the Upor. And Damien uh, carries, is that right? I don't think that's right. I wrote down Damien carries her home and Damien stitches her neck, but I don't think that's right. I think Alexander does. And I don't remember this these parts as well as Kay does. Yeah, I think that Alexander's the boy who starts working for with her in the bakery. I can't find it now. I wrote down Damien, but I don't think that's right. Anyway. Um but that, like, she has to be stitched up, right? So Joseph uh, jumps back to Joseph where he decides to enlist in a local paper, takes a photograph of him at his parents' house, uh, and that him and a group of other young people storm and destroy a town because a Polish-Jewish 
a Polish Jew assassinated a German official. And so they basically like ransacked the city. And Franz tells his brother, Reiner, Franz is the studious one. He says, power isn't doing something terrible to someone who's weaker than you. It's having the strength to do something terrible and choosing not to. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's almost grace too, right? Like mm-hmm. even though you could be punished for something that you probably deserved to get in trouble for, grace is kind of saying, okay, well, like, let's try this again. Mm-hmm. We won't punish today, but let's not do that again. So, it, and that was interesting to me. Um, so Joseph tells how he shot an unarmed boy for the first time, his first the first time he killed someone, he shot an unarmed boy who was running away from him. Uh, afterwards, they found that he had been running towards the house that he'd come out of. And inside, they found an infant. And so he was just trying to save his sister, this baby sister that he had. Um, which uh, just sounds so heartless. I just had a really hard time when, as I was reading through some of these things that there really there was a time that that just i mean it's not fake mm-hmm. this stuff really did happen right um and and joseph or reiner really has to stop thinking about what he's doing cuz he said to think of the jewish people as people was harder than to imagine them as something else right, right. as not human mm-hmm. was easier than to imagine that they were doing that to another person yep <clears throat> And then I think we switch back to Leo. This is where we meet Leo kind of for one of the first times. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes to visit Sage knowing kind of what <laughs> Reiner has done in the past. Right. Um, and prepared to kind of talk through some things with Sage. And that's where we end in part one. Yeah. So, so far I am intrigued Right. There's lots of moving parts. There's lots of things we kind of jump back and forth on. Um, But it's interesting to see the story within a story unfold. Mm -hmm. And it's also very um, telling how Sage handles this relationship with Joseph slash Reiner. Right. Like she he is her friend and she's having a very hard time kind of consolidating her feelings like could he really be this person and how do we, if he really is who he says he is, then how do I move forward with my own morals? Right. Mm -hmm. That I think it for myself, I would want to be like, no, you justice needs to be served. How many people did you hurt? And Mm -hmm. like Sage says earlier in the story, like there is no statute of limitations on murder. And how do we rectify that as a country? Right. Right. Like there's so many moving parts to it that I just can't wait to dig in to part two. This book was, I know it sounds really confusing and I hope this doesn't deter you from continuing to listen because. Or read it. Right. Because it was really hard for Kay and I both to kind of go through this too and feel like, oh my gosh, um, this is just a lot. It's heavy emotionally and just physically reading and keeping up with each part and everything like that. So Keep um, keep listening, keep reading, and we'll be back for part two in the next episode. Follow us on Instagram at, at Books and Brunch Podcast. Yes. Email us with questions, suggestions. We'd love to hear from our fans. Yes. At um, Books and Brunch Podcast at gmail.com. But thanks for listening. Yes. We'll see you guys next time. 